0: Hey everyone, my name is Jason West, and this is PodClass. Boy, do I have a great show for you all today. My guest is Justin Shabazz. He is an assistant principal at a charter school in one of the many low-income communities of Los Angeles. In this interview, Justin and I talk about working in a low-income community, how to connect with pretty much any type of student, and what everyone needs to know before going on a hike. It gets pretty in-depth. Now, before I start the show, I want to try something new this week. I've been told, you should talk more about your tea obsession. What do you like to drink? Educate us, you so-called teacher. First, it's a little aggressive. Uh, Settle down. Second, okay, message received. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to briefly talk about my week, and I'll also share what tea I'm drinking today in a quick segment I'm calling... Tea Capping the Week with Mr. West. God, that's such a good title. Okay, so the tea I'm drinking today is Art of Teas, Azai's Choice Sencha Tea. Mm, that is refreshing. This is a green tea from Japan. It's pretty grassy and if you oversteep it, it can become this weird combination of muddy and bitter tasting. But if you steep it just right, It's pretty refreshing. You'll know you've steeped it for the right amount of time when the liquid gets kind of light green. Anything dark and yellowish in hue is probably oversteeped. Now Sencha is the most popular tea in Japan. In fact, something like 80% of all tea that comes from Japan is Sencha. So yeah, I'm drinking it today because I'd like to be just like this tea, relaxed and healthy. But I am. Neither at the moment. Uh, why? Well, I have two small children who have recently figured out how to team up on their parents at night. So we put one kid to bed, and then the other one taps in and wakes up crying. And then we put that one to bed, and then the other one taps in and starts crying. And this goes on almost all night. So yeah, not feeling so relaxed uh, and healthy. Yeah, I I'm feeling sort of healthy these days, but not in like a good way. See, since having this second kid, I've gained about mm, six and a half pounds. And keep in mind, my newborn isn't even three weeks old yet. So uh, not great. But um, I have been trying to eat much healthier these last four days, which is good. But my body is now completely addicted to salt and fat and sugar. So I'm currently at baseline, constantly fighting off the urge to spend my entire salary at a local Dunkin Donuts. So that's fun. Otherwise, this is a pretty good week. Uh, We've had a really intense heat wave here in Southern California with temperatures reaching as high as like 93 degrees, which also without air conditioning in our classrooms translates to about 102 degrees. Like seriously, SoCal weather, sweater weather means wearing sweaters, not turning us all into sweaty messes. I also went to an AP coordinator training this past weekend, and it was really cool because apart from the fact that I learned so much more about the job that I'm gonna have to do, uh, and I feel so much more prepared uh, for the task, which is way more monumental than I think anybody could have truly been prepared for before going to this training. Um, But what was really cool is I used to work at a charter school years ago. This is actually my first teaching job in LA was at this charter school, and this training happened to be at one of the newer schools within that charter network. And I taught at a middle school and I actually taught the theater program. I was the quote drama teacher. And what was really cool is that I was the first drama teacher. I was the only drama teacher and I got to create the curriculum and flash forward eight years. And I am at this new charter or this new school in that charter Network and where, of course, is my training room, but the drama room, which is really cool. But even cooler than that is the fact that in this room, there were remnants of my curriculum all throughout. You know, there was archetypal masks. Uh, f- you know, from the ancient Greek theaters, there were certain uh, plays that the kids were reading. Yeah, it was just really heartwarming to see all the work that I had put into this class and this curriculum. Not only did it survive, but it's flourishing and it's having a positive impact on all these other kids. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty great way to end my week. All right. That is the end of the first ever Tea Capping the Week with Mr. West. And I had a good time. I hope you go and get this tea because it is delicious. And, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get the show started. But first, a quick fake commercial break. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by pencils. Pencils. You know your students don't have one. differentiation was like the greatest moment of my <laughs> like ironic educational career Here for a second <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so uh welcome to the show oh thank you thanks for being here thanks for giving up time out of your uh weekend in this lovely weather we're having my pleasure um you are actually the second principal i've had on the show and uh i'm really interested in getting your perspective because you haven't been a principal for too long. You've been in the classroom. How long were you in the classroom? About seven years. About seven years. Mm-hmm. And you were teaching middle school math. Yeah. The whole time. hmm What, when did you feel like, uh, it's time for me to get out of the classroom and go into, because I'm, I'm always interested to know, because I'm, I'm in the process of getting an admin credential. Yeah. And I still like, I waffle back and forth about, you know, is it time to get out? Is it not? hmm What was sort of your transition into this is the next step? Um, It was actually
1: Bebe's idea. Bebe's my wife. She (laughs) wasn't my wife back then, but I would come home and I think I was, um, I think a little demoralized at times. I knew how much effort it was going to take to prepare the lesson and I would get in this space where I would continue to want to do more or change something. And I think there became a point where I didn't feel like the impact that that change would have was worth the sacrifice in my personal time. Mm. And I wasn't getting any additional coaching as a teacher. So I. I didn't really have a lot of support in terms of how to work smarter, Mm -hmm. so I came to the conclusion this is as good as it's gonna get. Mm. And I was. Do you still feel like that's the
0: case? No. Interesting.
1: I actually think I'm a more effective teacher now (laughs) than I was when I left the classroom, which is funny because I'm not gonna go back to the classroom. Yeah. The great irony. The great irony, and and honestly, like I feel a little bit arrogant even saying that because I'm not teaching. So who knows? Like if I was actually in the classroom, what that would that
0: would really mm-hmm. look like? It's a little Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> yeah. I found that yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of admin in the world who, uh, and I, and I'm not saying this about you, but no, you please. and I know that we've we've, we've we've seen admin in our careers that are just like, you know, you do this and you do that, and you're like, mm, I actually remember you as a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> you no, that's not. I'll. I mean, I'll
1: freely admit, like I don't. I don't think I am the best teacher, but I just think because of having so many years of coaching, yeah, I have such a better developed sense of that's true what goes wrong and what can work. Mm-hmm. Um, the best like way to when I when I taught this last teach, year right? after our math teacher left and I had an opportunity to actually teach, I taught way differently than I did when hmm. I was actually in the classroom, and I loved it. I was really enjoying just like having a classroom to myself and being able to like conduct
0: my little laboratory of things that I wanted to do. So you was, got to like, fun. you got to do your own back to the future, bit where you got to go back, do things near like now with hindsight, I would have done this when well, I could go back in time. Right. Cause you, cause you were saying you had a teacher that left in the middle of the year. Right. And for the sake of time or money, was it that your school was like, we need you to, it was more just, I think about maintaining
1: trust with the parents. Um, because after he left, we had, like, we we had a long-term sub and uh, and an aide, and the aide was actually better instructionally than the long-term sub. The sub didn't really have much of a presence, and she was struggling a lot. So at first, we sort of triaged the situation, and it was like, okay, we're gonna have the aide teach these two classes, which were more challenging, and then the sub teach these two classes, which are a little easier. Um, and that still didn't work. I think she had great intentions, but I don't think she was mature enough to really do the prep necessary. Whereas the aide was spending... It was obvious she, he was spending hours outside of the classroom prepping lessons. And so he would give his lessons to her mm-hmm. and then she would botch them. Yeah, And not that she's incompetent. She just didn't have the time to do the prep right. to internalize what he had worked on. Sure. So she was kind of making it up as she went along.
0: Yeah, it's really funny when you... um You know, you give a teacher something that you've created, yeah, and uh, if it blows up for them, right, it's oftentimes because they just were like, "Oh, good, now the work's done," right, and they don't have to, they don't stop to think about it and figure out the why this is happening, right. uh, And if it fails, it's not their fault. I once, (laughs) I want you, that's true. I once uh, had a teacher who uh, I had changed. Classes in terms of what I was teaching, yeah, and I was no longer teaching this one unit, uh, this one uh, play that I was teaching, and I gave the teacher. I said, "I've changed. Now you're taking over. Here's the packet of work that I made. Here's the whole unit right. that I made mm-hmm. with the packet and everything." And <laughs> I, she gave her students the packet, but she didn't. She clearly didn't go through it right. because on like, the third page of the packet was the Mr. West's expectations. Right. <laughs> and it was like, you know, dear students, these are the expectations. Da, 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 da. Yeah. I think you're going to really enjoy this, Mr. West. Right. <laughs> like she just gave it to them. And they're like, Mr. Who, what? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Not not Mr. Who, but just more like, why are you giving us Mr. West's work? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, oh, the work's been done for me. Right. And then I have to just give it over. So you've always taught in, to say inner city is not really fully accurate, right? It's how would Pico you describe Union? the area well, where I
1: feel
2: like
0: inner cities,
1: maybe, I mean, I, I think I do teach in the inner city, but maybe it's just sort of like an anachronism. I don't think people say inner yeah. city anymore. Oh, okay. It's like leftover from the
0: nineties. <laughs> much, much of, much of my hip lingo is leftover from the nineties. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really know. Um, but no, I mean, it's definitely, you know, on the lower socioeconomic oh, yeah. level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's where you've always taught. And do you think that when you bring in teachers Mm -hmm. to teach at that school, is that a mentality or a mindset that you need to ensure your teachers have going in, understanding what they're coming into, or does it not really matter? Teaching is just teaching.
1: I think, I mean, it starts with the recruitment. I think when you're talking to people, you have to make sure that they understand the context in which they're teaching. Um, I mean, the biggest thing that I see in terms of like the issues that result, um, from being in like low income communities of color is just people tend to quietly and slowly internalize low expectations for the kids. Mm. Um, I see where even experienced and well-intentioned teachers start to think, well, I'm going to do this lesson like this. Uh, and by that, I mean, they lowered the rigor, they lower the complexity of the mm-hmm. lesson in the interest of access, which is important because I think that there is something to be said for increasing access. You want to, because it, I mean, I can't help it. Like if we have 60% of our kids walk into the door in sixth grade that are four years behind grade level Mm -hmm. and you just throw them a sixth grade level text, they literally just can't read it, you know? And so you are going to need to somehow create access for that text. But I think the problem is that then they never actually see what they're supposed to be able to do. Mm. And so it's sort of like, hey, here's like a third grade standard and they, they, you know, teachers don't tell them that because they're, because with, like I said, with good intentions, they really want to improve the quality of the kid's self esteem and make them feel like they are being successful. Mm -hmm. And so they give them these, these wins. Um, but
0: at the end of the day, there's still like serious skill and knowledge deficits that never get addressed. Do you think, do you think the kids recognize that these wins are more shallow than anything, I think they recognize that it's easier, but I don't
1: know if they see that their teacher has low expectations for them.
0: Because mm. it's like um, that that classic bit when you're talking about setting goals. Yeah. And you know, you have a you know a ball of paper, mm-hmm. and the trash can is right next to you. You are like see if you can get the ball in the trash, and you just drop yeah. it. You're like that was easy, and then you put a the trash can forty feet away yeah you know like get the ball in the trash from there by that point and it's like impossible right and then you put it you know seven feet away and it's like it's doable, but it's it's hard right yeah and it's you know I just wonder if you think kids recognize that teachers have moved the proverbial can right next to them mm-hmm. to get those wins
1: I think it's it's more insidious than that mm. I think they like I'll talk about English, okay. Our former English teacher did an amazing job at giving our students the space to find their voice and talk about things that, as new adolescents, they need to talk about. Mm -hmm. But they weren't talking about them in a compelling or stylistically complex way. They didn't have to read any text in order to be successful on that assignment. So what I mean by insidious is that the sentiment in the class is that we are doing really important work. But the reality is that you are doing something that has little to no academic merit. Right. Unless you were to then, for example, if it was like we're going to write a poem, then are we going to read about like the stylistic devices of poetry? Are mm-hmm. we going to read different samples of poetry and you can Make sure that you them? have a
0: couplet, you know, or whatever. Right.
1: Are we able to explain why certain poems are effective? And the reality is that we're not, and we're not because I don't want you to feel judged about the quality of your poetry. Mm. So in the interest of creating more access and more space, I've actually made this assignment academically meaningless. So that's kind of what I mean by insidious because it has the veneer of depth. Mm-hmm. It feels like we're doing something important. People are crying. <laughs> I mean, middle schoolers are crying. At middle any schools given are day crying, anyway. but they are talking about like yeah. losing parents. Right. They're talking about important topics. Right. You know. So, so, to answer the question, I don't think they feel like it's been that the trash can's been moving moved closer yeah. so much as this, like, oh, we're just not shooting for a trash can anymore.
0: Oh, interesting. You know? I was thinking, like, maybe the analogy is uh, those pranks that you see on the internet where they blindfold the kid at half court yeah, and tell him to throw the ball and the ball goes nowhere near the basket. But they've yeah. convinced everyone in the, uh, in the arena to lose their minds. And yeah. then they take off the blindfold and they're like dancing and freaking out. Like I did, it, yeah, I did yeah. it. That's actually a good way to put it. Yeah. That's very similar. It's cool to aim
1: for the heart. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you want to have a, a compelling lesson. You want kids to feel right. Challenged. Um, but I think we challenge in the wrong way. I think we challenge emotionally, which it's like, can you be more transparent? Can you talk about these difficult things and mm-hmm. and bring them out? And I, I don't think that's our place as educators. I think we can create a safe space. Don't get me wrong. Like I think that if you can create a safe space for those things, then that's wonderful and that's beautiful and that's, that's great. But I think we are not really trained. There are people that... Spend a considerable amount of professional learning understanding emotional trauma, mm-hmm. uh, how to respond and increase people's capacity to deal with uh, emotional trauma or whatever. And
0: none of my teachers, to my knowledge, have any of that training. Do you think that there is maybe a place? It sounds to me, it sounds like yeah. uh, what you are seeing a lot of from a lot of teachers in these communities yeah, is one, there's a bit of a savior complex yeah, and as, as well intended as it is, it's still, you know, like I said, a, a bit of like the great white hope, yeah, but also this idea that implementing restorative justice into a classroom is an important thing. As long as you are connecting those strategies to, okay, now that we've learned how to, cope as a person how can then i apply this to grow as a as an academic individual a scholar yeah. if you will right. but it seems like they're not making that bridge isn't being crossed it's just let's deal with our socio-emotional needs and then kicking the can down the road i'm that, assuming you'll get a academics. teacher that'll teach you yeah and you'll be ready by then right we need to
1: like the emotional thing is of supreme urgency and mm-hmm. yeah 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 which i think for adolescents is a slippery slope i think if you keep asking them about their feelings they'll just keep on telling you things <laughs> yeah. literally you no, know i mean, just like it's like bitcoin you just keep on mining <laughs> it you'll keep on finding some more bitcoin at some point and the market's just going to get more and more inflated yeah it's just yeah.
0: that yeah, they have a middle school students have an endless supply of emotional things to talk about right and they're and,
1: ultimately meaningless and grounded in And very little, and the things that really are emotionally devastating for them, they don't talk about.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah, there's, and you, and you would only know if you really knew them and like went to their house. mm. You know.
0: There, there's somebody said once that, uh, or told me once that, teenagers are like children. (laughs) Duh. No, that somebody, somebody once told me that teenagers are a lot like toddlers in the sense that they'll only remember things. If you remind them, right. You know what I mean? Where it's sure. like, if you just move on, they move on too. But if you just keep saying, Hey, yeah. tell me about that. Are you still feeling sad? Cause your friend betrayed you because they told someone about their party before you or yeah. whatever, you know, middle school drama.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: They'll just keep feeling lost. Just reinforcing that. Yeah.
1: yeah they just kind of,
0: yeah. So you were a teacher for seven years. Yeah. When did you determined that you wanted to be in education where is that something that you always wanted as a kid um yeah the first time i said i wanted to be a teacher was like right before i went into high school wow
1: yeah and then i sort of lost sight of that i don't know i don't know if it was really a content area that i had in mind specifically Mm -hmm. and i just abandoned that idea for like the next six years to to be what probably some sort of leftist revolutionary (laughs) i don't know (laughs) <laughs> I got my, my, my Middle Eastern Che Guevara yeah exactly I mean that was the whole thing I mean I, my freshman year of college was the same year as 9-11 and so being in our family where there was like a Muslim side mm. and an American side it was sort of like a line that was v- like a, a barrier or a border that was very permeable mm-hmm. all of a sudden became like very hardened you know that there's like you're gonna have to choose one side or the other wow. you know and I liked my dad a lot more. <laughs> so I was like, I guess I'm just going to be on the Muslim side of things then. Yeah, And so I got like really into the politics of American foreign policy and decided to pursue international relations as a major and like did peace and conflict studies. Yeah. What did your dad was, do? Huh? What did your dad do? He's a mechanic and a car salesman. He's, he doesn't have a college degree.
0: And mom? Mom's a social worker for San Diego Regional Center. So no, no background in education, but at a young age you were thinking. My mom's side,
1: despite my mom's job, her family's full of teachers. Ah, yeah. So maybe her, a little her, influence. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Her dad was a teacher. Her uncle was a teacher. Her mom was a teacher.
0: Like, That's interesting. It's,
1: it's all over the place. Like there's like teachers and preachers kind of <laughs> all over. I find you know, that outside.
0: people who want to, who, kind of always know that they want to be teachers, mm-hmm. or even people who resist it and kind of fall into teaching there's an overwhelming majority of people who come from a background of either teaching
2: Mm -hmm.
0: or military yeah um and and i think it comes from this idea of like serving Mm uh other people Mm -hmm. and it's you know it's really rare and i think one of the reasons why i personally uh feel lost in the realm of education as often as i do or feel more like an outsider in education uh, as much as I do. I have no idea how I got here. <laughs> like, honestly, I, I took such a circuitous path. There is no education in my, in my family. Right. Uh, I didn't enjoy school. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't particularly adept at it. Uh, and I just find it really interesting that, you know, so many people like yourself, even if it wasn't directly, even if it was, uh, obliquely, mm-hmm you were touched by education in an influential way, whether it be by family or sure. by your, were you a good student as well? I was. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Not so much in college, but mm.
1: after like in my grad program and then basically all of elementary through high school,
0: I was a good kid. When did you, cause you said you went away from education. You went into this. Yeah. When, when did it, when did the sweet siren song of education Call you back to the rocks to crash (laughs) and Um, die. Yeah, it was. (laughs) That that, that, metaphor didn't work. Sorry, Sorry. it's perfect, actually.
1: (laughs) I had a friend who, so my first job after college was at Starbucks. And I had a manager who I really looked up to. And he went back to grad school at USC's social work. And when he left, program. you stood His on MSW. top of
0: the cappuccino machine and screamed, Oh, captain, my captain. Exactly.
1: Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So I followed him. <laughs> well, he encouraged me to apply for the USC's MAT program. He's like, just gave me a brochure. He's like, I think you should go for that. And what is that? It's a master of arts and teaching. Mm. Yeah. Up to that point, I didn't really know where I was going to, I felt kind of rudderless and I was sort of looking around like, I don't know what I want to do. Um, and I started substitute teaching in Garden Grove School District, and I just loved it. And I was like, "This is great."
0: Now you have a really big uh, musical background as I well, or yeah, yeah. not musical as in theater, but musical as in playing instruments. Yeah. Was there a moment when you thought, "I'm not going to teach math. I'm going to teach music"? <laughs> no. <laughs> is Never. that ridiculous? Not even a moment. Not even a moment. No. But you were. were, were I mean, weren't you not? like extremely into it or music. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. like you I've were in played music ever since I was 10
1: years old. My mom's like piano, guitar, every single one of, except for my dad, everybody in my
0: family's musical in some way. You know what yeah. I find not to get too you know, sure. uh, a armchair psycho- psychiatrist, psychologist here. Uh, you mentioned earlier, you're like, Oh, I like my dad more. Yeah. But you ended up going toward everything else with your mom's side. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I like my dad so much that I want to be nothing like him. Well, you know, I
1: think there's an inward reality that I'm just a lot more like, like internally, I just think I'm more like my mom's side of the family. Mm. Yeah. Like they're, you know, they're all like intellectuals and I don't know. I mean, my, my dad's side of the family, like my dad comes from like 15 brothers and sisters. Wow. So they're, his family kind That's of That's like runs a football whole, team. Yeah. They run the whole gamut. I mean, he's got, you know... He's got brothers that's, he's got one brother who's an anesthesiologist in Paris another one who's like a chemical engineer in the Gulf. And then he's got another one that like died of type two diabetes because he just smoked and drank too much. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. it's kind of like you got the whole
0: list. It's a, um, it's a, it's a full spectrum. Yeah, exactly. And there's, and there's nothing really to identify as like a grounding force other than like what you're saying, the Middle Eastern.
1: Yeah. Other than they're just all from Lebanon. Yeah. yeah. But Muslim Lebanese, which I think is less common. I think you probably see more, you run into more Christian Lebanese, especially Mm. in the United States. Yeah.
0: And did that have any impact on you in terms of your post 9 11 existence? Yeah. I think it just made me more aware of just how deeply racist United States society really is. Mm. Yeah. And do you think that impacts your, because you've taught in these, I mean, I I hate to use this word, because it's just, it's so filled with coded language but mm-hmm. you've taught in these urban sure schools yeah. do, do you feel like that has sort of your experience your post-9-11 experience has sort of led you to teach in these communities oh yeah absolutely without a doubt yeah and, and on a conscious level or yeah it was
1: i mean my decision to well i mean the way that everything kind of came together was the confluence of Being a good student coming from a family of teachers and then all of a sudden becoming like politically active Mm -hmm. and socially conscious and like developing a more critical social consciousness, especially of like American society.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And also the for me, what was just the like the psychological impact of just moving to Los Angeles and seeing inequality on a scale I'd never seen before. I grew up in Oceanside, which is very suburban. There wasn't that big of a difference between the high and the low. Mm. It was basically like there was Fire Mountain, was like these nice homes, and then there was. <laughs> I was like, that
0: sounds like something out of the Hobbit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Must take the ring to Fire Mountain. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, we lived in like one of the nicer neighborhoods, and you know, my parents have like a five bedroom, three bath house on like a quarter mm-hmm. acre. It's like a nice little place, mm-hmm. you know, and. There are nicer homes in Oceanside, and, but they're not that much nicer, you yeah. know? I mean, I'm sure there are some, like, mansions somewhere, but really, you know, and then after that, there's, like, what we called the ghetto was, like, the apartment complex on the other side of the street, <laughs> you know? And and, and 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 those
0: had, like, granite countertops, ocean views, like...
1: You know, I mean, it, it was, like, I, so when I moved to L.A., and, like, I never had seen... So much homelessness, mm. like, and not just like homelessness, but like abject homeless, like yeah. people that are just filthy. Mm. You're just like, like this is insane, you know, and like, or seeing Skid Row for the first time, mm. and just being like, oh, there's just like a, a tent city, and it's like two blocks away from the tallest building, you know. I mean, it's just like, yeah, these capitals of finance and the the diamond district, yeah. And it was just wild to me, and it was really upsetting. And then also I went to USC, right, which it's like i had never seen someone my age driving
0: like a bmw before mm. you know and just USC is that. a really interesting environment i mean mm-hmm. it's becoming less interesting because of how gentrified yeah. the surrounding area was mm-hmm. or is becoming but for a while there it was just just profound privilege surrounded by profound poverty
1: well yeah like my impression of los angeles was like everything that people come to Los Angeles thinking that LA is in terms of like Hollywood and mm-hmm. and the beach and Beverly Hills yeah. is all like the white affluent part of Los Angeles mm-hmm. which is such a small reality yeah like LA is mostly brown yeah like for miles like like the 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 core and the blood of LA is latino it's not it's not white I mean yeah. like the the white parts are very small and isolated and sort of insulated unto themselves mm-hmm. except when they need help, right? Mm-hmm. Clean the house and do all this stuff. They they consume services, you know, but they're not really the the actual LA community. And um which was just like another thing that was just kind of shocked me about it, like that LA is so it's so Latino, like wholly Latino. If you go from Santa Monica all the way to East LA, so wait, I mean, uh, it has its own ethnic enclaves for sure. I like,
0: you mean to tell me that a city named Los Angeles? Yeah. Is largely Latino? right,
1: but I think people think LA is like palm trees. And, and even like, you know, in the 90s, like Gangster Rap came out, they're thinking mm-hmm. like, oh, like South LA is black. And even then, South LA is not black. Yeah. You know, it's really not. It's yeah. mostly brown. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there was a time, but maybe like in the 90s, but ever since. I don't know for how long it's just been becoming. Yeah. You, you know, Latino, you yeah.
0: I taught in an area that, you know, Compton adjacent mm-hmm. Crenshaw and yeah, surprisingly a uh, large constituency of a Hispanic community mm-hmm. and a, you know, no Asian population to be spoken of yeah. really, uh, that I would teach no white and very few black. Yeah. Um, But you're right, the, the, the movies that we see, yeah, the movies, the movies and Hollywood really does such a wonderful job showing education. And I don't know if my sarcasm is coming through (laughs) in the recording as well as it should be. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's a, it's profound how inaccurate, uh, education is portrayed in Hollywood, but particularly demographically. Yeah. You know, you see these movies, they, you know, like Freedom Riders, Mm. Right. Freedom Riders is a real thing. Mm -hmm. But the way it's portrayed in the movies, it's just like that school is surrounded by affluence. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, there are kids of poverty that go to that school. Yeah. But that is not like you don't roll up in your car and go, oh, my God, let me lock my doors. I need an escort to the car because it's so profoundly unsafe. It's just, Mm -hmm. you know, but that speaks to what you were talking about earlier in terms of the perpetuated stereotypes that we like to sort of live by. Cause that's what it's, it's comforting to know that things don't change, Yeah, that scary things are always scary things <laughs> as opposed to, well, no, there's some gray areas. Yeah. Um, and I know there's going to be a really weird segue, but in my mind it totally makes sense. But speaking of gray areas, mm-hmm. you're really into skateboarding. Yeah. And I find skateboarding to be a really interesting concept because this idea that you're putting in all this work for something that is supposed to look effortless, you know, like I don't under, I, my brain doesn't understand why people skateboard somewhere instead of just walk somewhere. I'm like, cause you're just putting in all this work, but only on one leg
2: <laughs>
0: and then you're likely to fall right. and hurt yourself more True. often than not, or not succeed. Right. And I find that to be such a perfect metaphor for teaching. Yeah. or stand-up comedy right. or anything where you're really putting yourself out there and trying something that is put, putting yourself in a vulnerable position. Right. But you're really into it. Oh, yeah. What What is What is your drive to say, I want to try this thing that will make me fall <laughs> more times than I will succeed Yeah. that, frankly, is not any easier than just doing it the other way, walking, let's say. Or yeah. Oh, man. Skateboarding for me
1: is... Um it is to become sort of untethered, like to to have to not walk and to roll. <laughs> I'm serious. It feels freedom, like it feels free. You're like I had to take steps, and then I got to do all this stuff, and then I can just like when I'm just going, um, like when when I can just like jump on a skateboard, just go down a street fast, and just feel like the wind and it's loud, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're just kind of like just going and it just seems like you're in your own little bubble, which is nice. Hmm. But I think even more so is that, um, skateboarding is cheap. Mm. So it's, it's very egalitarian. I mean, the hospital bills aren't cheap.
0: (laughs) No, that's true.
1: (laughs) But I mean, like you don't need a lot of extra kit to to get a skateboard. Like you can get, like the top of the line skateboard is going to be $150, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like you need to spend like $400 on boots and bindings and right. like $300 on lift tickets and all that stuff or and make a trip some real somewhere. shade to the
0: Aspen culture.
1: <laughs> hey, I'm just saying, you know, and like you don't need to go anywhere. Like if you live in an urban environment, you can go skateboarding. You know, because everything is covered in concrete and cement and blacktop. And it's like, that's Mm -hmm. exactly what that whole environment
0: is for. Just ignore all those no skateboarding signs. You'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right.
1: And well, and that's the other side of it, too, is that it's sort of there's a rebellious aspect to it. It's like frowned
0: upon. And you you've managed to use that as a cultural connection with your students. Yeah, for sure. Who had a very different upbringing than you did. Yeah, Definitely do you, do you go do you skate with them oh yeah, all the time <laughs> all the time yeah and is that weird for them or do they feel like do you feel that that helps you with your the management of your campus because you're i imagine and 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 again these are just stereotypes because sure. I don't know the skating world mm-hmm. I imagine in my in my adult brain mm-hmm. that the kids who skateboard uh or who are really into it mm-hmm. Tend to have more of the behavioral issues. Yeah, in class, is that fair? It is. Oh, okay, good. (laughs) I was glad you're gonna be like, no, (laughs) they are all beautiful angels, and you have stereotypes skating again. um, Um, No, so I imagine then you have that extra relationship with them, and so when things go wrong, you can sort of lean on that outside relationship with them. I mean, it's a real. To be honest,
1: it's a real inconvenience because they want to go skateboarding. And so, they'll find some way to get a hold of me, whether like through somebody's Instagram or something <laughs> like that. That's and, creepy. Uh,
0: yeah. And then they'll
1: they be like, Mister, what are do you doing Sunday? Let's go. These go kids grading.
0: can't read, by the way, at grade level. They're like five grades below. They can't do any equation, but they can find a way to hack through to get to your Instagram. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> when they need to be, yeah, they can be extremely
1: proficient. Hey, one of them there's a is a kid going in a seventh grade right now who has an IP and loves to skateboard. He's a great kid. Um and he has my phone number. And I don't know how he got my phone number. Wow. I don't know where he got it from, but he he calls me cuz he's bored and he's like, "What are you doing? Let's go skateboarding." And I was like, <laughs> "You're what? like, please don't call me." <laughs> and I just I know, you know what? I didn't even I wasn't even upset about it, to be honest. I was just like kind of impressed I, I i was just sort of like hey what's up <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like that anchorman quote you ate a whole wheel of cheese i'm not even mad i'm just impressed <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like you called me yeah not even mad i'm just impressed that i you know like that i would out. never
1: i would have never called a teacher when oh, i was well, a I mean, kid. forget
0: like the guts that it takes to yeah. do that but just the also the but it's not even like he's with his the friends resourcefulness. It's like a dare
1: it's like he's just sitting in front of his house bored <laughs> he's like what do you do a relationship like, come over <laughs> come yeah hang out like i'm like his yeah yeah like yeah. his cool cousin like i'm busy i'm like you know it's like i'm married i gotta go like go do stuff
0: <laughs> i'm an adult <laughs> that's him that's amazing your phone is ringing now and he is calling you he's calling me right. that's right? amazing yeah. do you want to have this call on the podcast definitely not <laughs> <laughs> A hundred percent now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would have been an amazing special guest walk. And it would have yeah. been amazing had I planned that. Oh my God. That's unbelievable. That is great. Do I guarantee you right now. He's like, mister, let's go
1: skate. Yeah. Let's right.
0: hit it up. It's warm out. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's crazy. That's that going to happen even when he's in high school. He's almost just gonna 90 keep... degrees. It's like, what do you want? To do? Are you serious? <laughs> let's go to the beach. Now, do you think, uh, cause that is really interesting to me that, you've sort of connected with the misfit toys Mm -hmm. uh, at the school and being an admin. Do you think that that works in your favor more or do you think that it sometimes works against you in the sense that those kids then think they are able to get away with more because they're like, Oh, Shabazz is cool. Mm -hmm. I worry about that a lot
1: actually. So here's what I think is like a big misconception is that, is that there is academic culture and mm-hmm. there's street culture. And those two things are battling for supremacy. That mm-hmm. one is correct. Teachers, we think the academic culture is correct. And then the students think no street culture is correct. Like, why do I need to know how to do math? You know? And the reality is that neither one is correct. That the re- that you actually have to learn how to be fluent in both. Mm-hmm. And this goes for teachers too. Yeah. You can't only be academic and reach your kids. You're going to need to know street culture Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Kids, you cannot rely solely on street culture. It will not get you access anywhere. Mm -hmm. There's no employer or university that will take you seriously if you don't know the code. You know what
2: I mean?
0: Right.
1: And so I think what I'd like to do is to show them that I can navigate those two worlds that when I need to be an administrator, I'm going to be an administrator, and when I can, and then when I don't need to be an administrator, that I can be a skateboarder, hmm. and that there's no tension between the two, that they, they can coexist. It's just a matter of what's appropriate and when. Mm-hmm. I'm not a skateboarder when I'm at school, and I'm not an assistant principal when I'm skateboarding, you know. And I think they just. I think, they, I think they can understand that, you know. It's about compartmentalization. Yeah. Um, and it's not like I'm being fake when I'm being an AP. Right. Right? Or vice versa, that I'm fake when I'm being a skateboarder, like I love skateboarding. And I also have a job that I'm really passionate about. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is, I think what, what kind of complicates things is that there is a point where I wish they would talk to me about school. Like I want them to be like, I need help on this, mm-hmm. you know, but I cannot force that issue with them because then all of a sudden there's like, why are we skateboarding? So, cause so that I can bring up my classwork to you Yeah. and I just don't, so Feels it's disingenuous. Exactly. So I just sort of, if it comes up, it comes up and I'm like, oh yes. But if it doesn't, I'm like, it's all good. I think it's different if you're a classroom teacher because you get that kind of frequency of interaction. Like mm-hmm. you would know when a kid's slipping. And I would put that I, I would put that responsibility on myself. Yeah. To be like, what's going on? You know, like you're obviously struggling. Um, but with these kids, because I don't really see them in an instructional capacity, I more see them as an administrator or as a skateboarder. So it's sort of like it's kind of weird for those things. Like the only way that that would enter is if they like, they would have to initiate and be like, Hey, I need some help on this math thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: I would be like, thank you. This <laughs> yes. is the greatest day. Of my thank life. God. Yeah. Uh, one last question. Sure. Before we get into our games and segments. Sure. So you have this dynamic with your students. Yeah. Where you, you go and you skateboard and you do it. You know, it's a kind of, it's almost like a club, right? Mm hmm. As an admin, mm-hmm. how do you encourage your teachers to create deep and meaningful relationships with their students, whether it be through clubs or through other uh, interactions? Like, how do you encourage that? You're clearly somebody who can do that mm-hmm. and who does do that, even as an administrator. You're still kind of holding on to that element of what you did as a teacher. Mm-hmm. How do you teach that or encourage that in your campus? The way that that manifests
1: itself is in management. Usually, when you have weak classroom management, that's that's because the teacher has not. I'm not saying you have to make like an intense personal connection, but like you have to know who your kids are. Like there's no way around it. I mean, Hmm. I just can't. I mean, for a long time, I think I I operated on a lot of assumptions as a teacher about what they like and what they do, and and I was wrong more often than not you know and i would have to spend time with them and get to know them and i think the more that our teachers do that the more that helps kind of train them to see our students with a different lens not so much disadvantaged but just sort of that that they need us as like a platform like we need to to serve as sort of like an elevator like we like that their voices are valid but they're not going to reach a necessary level if we're not in their lives mm. anyway but to go back to the question I think like the way that I go about it is usually when we talk about management and talking about routines and like why why do we need to do class this way it all comes down to values and what that person is, thinks is important for that for that group of kids and I think if that's not really well communicated then you're gonna struggle for a long time because it's like why do we have to do this and it's like well we have to do this because I want you to learn, you know, I want you all to become strong and smart and capable. And I think that you're my replacement. Exactly. You know I mean? I think people need to be able to communicate that. And if they don't, then they start to lose it. Yeah. That this is why, and all of a sudden the kids start dictating why we're doing things. And their Mm -hmm. reason is that because it's stupid. (laughs) Well, just, they just don't understand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They want to do things their way.
0: Well, I think that's a really good place to leave it. Uh, Speaking of, Stupid things. Yeah. Uh, you ready to do some games? (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So our first game. Yeah. Is called make a rubric for that. Right. And in education, we like to teachers like to make rubrics. It takes a lot of the personalized aspect out of grading. It either is or it isn't. Mm -hmm. You can let students know in advance. This is what I'm looking for. Oh, they can meet make- criteria for success. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'd like to take that idea mm-hmm. and apply it to the rest of the world. Of course. I know that uh, you're very big on rubrics, so I'd like you to make a rubric for something that you are truly passionate about. What is something you'd like to make a rubric for? Well, I love being outdoors, so mm-hmm. let's make a rubric for how to be a good hiker.
2: Okay, yeah.
0: great. Excellent. So, what are what are the categories for success that you need to be a good hiker? So, let's start with just sort of exterior accoutrement. <laughs> um
1: depending on the right equipment? Hmm? You need to have the right equipment. Absolutely. Yeah. But Appropri- you don't have too much equipment. Appropriate equipment. Yeah, exactly. Um I would say I mean, I would prefer some sort of vacuum insulated water device. I don't think you should be bringing anything disposable. Pack it in, pack it out. Okay. Um, I think a couple of snacks are good. Not overboard. Something,
0: you know, high protein, high fiber. So, so here's something that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. You're, 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 I'm hearing this and I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah. But I guess the question is, what kind of hiker are, you, <laughs> are we talking about? Are we talking about like, oh, I'm just going to walk right. uh, a three-mile trail or mm-hmm. are we hiking deep into the wilderness to find our true selves?
1: So... So the last great hike I did was about nine miles. It was uh, the Mount Zion Loop in
0: Chantry Flats, and that was great. It was okay, a beautiful hike. Um, this is a serious hikers-only rubric: how to be a good serious hiker. See, I don't, I,
1: I don't know if I have enough expertise to give Not you like a, like a, a good warrior. serious because there's going to be other hikers that are going to listen to this. they be like, "This guy doesn't know what he's talking I about." I actually have a huge right. hiking following. <laughs> exactly, I figure like most. People passionate about education. I mean, most of the fan mail hiking. I get comes from like the hiking unions and there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of yeah. intersectionality yeah, yeah, between yeah. Ed and, and the outdoor world. Yeah, ex- yeah. exactly. Some genuine adventure, risk taking, uh, people die in the process. It's,
0: it's a <laughs> lot of exposure. Grim. Yeah. <laughs> Eaten <laughs> by a bear. It's dark. Yeah. No, no, no. That's actually a Betsy DeVos myth that bears yeah. are going to enter our classroom. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. Okay. So. Mid to moderate serious hiker. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not hiking across sure. the country, but, a but, good but
1: I, th- but I think you're bringing up kind of like purpose and I think that's a good, yeah, a good, uh, so maybe like a good start. Cause for five me, mile like, minimum. Well, I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you like, I really like to hike to experience the outdoors and I think that's not the case with everybody. Mm-hmm. I think some people like to hike just for the exercise value of it. Some people like to hike for, they're looking for a particular view, some people like to like conquer
0: a particular peak. That's how they meet someone. Yeah. Some people do it wrong. It's a dating play. app. Hiking. Yeah, exactly. Hiker, hiker. Uh, <laughs> yeah, with no e. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, I mean, for me, like, I'm really into being able to see a lot of biota, plants and animals. <laughs> for those of you who are unaware
0: of what biota means for 99% of the, <laughs> for the 99% of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, what a nerdy thing to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So mid to moderate hike, yeah. you have your equipment, right. Bring water, bring snacks. Cause yeah. you're going to be out for quite a few hours in this situation. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say, yeah, let's say we're going to be out for about three hours or more. Do you want to, cause I, Im- I imagine that to get an A, yeah, in this category of equipment, right, there is a line of demarcation between mm-hmm. having too little and too much equipment.
1: Oh man, you nailed it!
0: So what? What must someone have? What is too much? What? What counts against them?
1: I honestly think like you could probably just pack like like a real easy pack of just like a water bottle, like a couple of Cliff Bars, and that's it. I really don't think you need much more than
0: that. That was a really good uh, sponsor slip. Thank you, hey, Cliff Bars. Please yeah. send us. Thank you, Cliff Bar. Free bars. Kind okay, so bars, Minimalist.
1: Kind Bar is also good. What bar? Kind Bars. Oh. I think yeah. anything where you can actually see the ingredients. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm all about it. So, yeah. Minimalist. It's, right. It's, you've got water, you've got mm-hmm. some sort of food mm-hmm. that yeah. is in a bar mm-hmm. form. <laughs> exactly. Some and then, just sort of light attire. So, footwear mm-hmm. is a huge thing. Is that its own category? Or is that part I of I would the... give it its own category. Okay.
1: Absolutely. Because we're talking about socks and we're talking about shoes and (laughs) i think there's a huge mismatch i think socks are way misunderstood in terms of their value like if you're wearing cotton socks you're you're
0: blowing it my favorite thing about this segment yeah is the banality of these topics Mm -hmm. but how seriously (laughs) the people making the rubrics take them oh my god this is my favorite thing well, I, I if, mean, if I wish the audience could see the face that you made when you started talking about socks Yeah, <laughs> and the importance of them. Well, I think like you got to get a good pair of like synthetic sweat wicking socks.
1: I mean, you're going to be in those shoes for a while, mm-hmm. especially if you're wearing like, like a waterproof boot or like a water resistant boot. Oh, is that, is that a in that? that thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're doing like stream crossings and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Myself, I have like a nice pair of like breathable trail runners that I tend to use. Um, so good just grip. like tennis shoes are not underfoot. No, no, you're so going like, to be like rugged terrain. what I'm wearing is not. No, yeah, you can't just wear any old regular running shoes. They got no grip. If you're going to mm-hmm. be like scaling some rocks and like I said, stream crossings, you're headed for a muddy foot right there.
0: So I think what it sounds like you're saying is mm-hmm. plan the shoe according to the trail. Don't just go into a trail and like know what you're getting into mm-hmm. and then dress accordingly.
1: Absolutely. Okay. I think weight is a big thing. Cause you're going to be on your feet for a long time.
0: Like I got, Weight is in like personal weight. <laughs> <laughs> like that that's too. another category. If <laughs> right. you are above Fitness. this threshold of BMI, yeah. <laughs> you cannot get an A. <laughs> no,
1: yeah, exactly. Sorry. You're just ruled out. Yeah. No matter how hard you try.
0: So you have food. Yeah. You have equipment mm-hmm. and wear. Yeah. Those are two or three categories total.
1: Ooh. So let's, let's put one category as like just the nutrition category. Okay. Like sustenance and fuel. Mm-hmm. Let's make like clothing shoes included. I'm going to sure. put footwear in there. Okay. We'll just put that part of the You just completely
0: went against everything you just said. I just, yeah, I'm just going to throw <laughs> it all abandoned. out. We're starting
1: all over again. Um, and then also I think, um, clarity of purpose. Wow. is another, yeah. This is a deep
2: rubric. That's oh, a really big jump.
1: Well, if you go into the wilderness to appreciate the wilderness, then you're getting an A.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: If you go into the wilderness to bring your boom box, you're immediately getting an F.
0: <laughs> you're immediately banned from immediately the woods. Immediately words.
1: getting an F. Yeah. Um, uh, So, and then just along that scale, that's
0: actually something that I see in schools as well, not just in nature, but it's like the bane of my existence. Those people that walk around, those people that walk around with their, uh, Bluetooth speakers just on blast. Yeah. And it's like, kids are walking through the hallways, just holding their Bluetooth speaker as music is blasting through. It's like, is that really necessary? Like we get Mm. it. You're listening to whatever is hip in the moment but you're listening to it loudly and you have to do it between classes. Nothing yeah. says like, look at me. <laughs> like it seems awfully inconsiderate. Yeah. yeah. Or just attention seeking mm-hmm. and you don't want attention in the woods. You want isolation.
1: Yeah. You want to pay attention
0: to the woods. Mm. Yeah. You got to get to know the woods. I like that. The more we talk about this category, the more like Bob Ross we sound. It's mm-hmm. just a beautiful tree. Well, I
2: mean, woods.
1: like I think, I think like wilderness is connection. You know, you go there To get away from, I mean, for me, it's like you get away from your own thoughts. You kind of get some time to admire something. And that in itself is a wonderful experience to just listen Mm -hmm. and hear nothing but, you know, wind blowing through leaves and birds. And I feel like if you're listening to music, you're missing all of that. Like you might as well just be in the city. Mm. Like why why are you going to take this trip to go out here
0: and just pollute it? So So you get an F. So you get an F, so you failed and you're banned from the woods. That's right. So you have nutrition, equipment, purpose. Yeah. And is there any other category or is that kind of it? Um, I think also like personal responsibility
1: is a big one. So just in terms of just keeping, keeping it clean, staying on trail. Um, I don't see it now. I can't, I can't say staying on trail is an A because I, I like to do, Some excursions, Mm. but I think it's about like, like biome sensitivity. Maybe we'll put, don't step on the newts. Exactly. Yeah. Don't step on the newts and they're everywhere. Mm how do you know about the newts? (laughs) I've stepped on them. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. When I was doing that, that Zion loop trail,
0: there were newts everywhere. Newts are everywhere. Newtful. (laughs) Newts. Like literally you can just be parachuted into any country and I feel like there's a newt that's going to run under your foot. That's actually probably not accurate, you bi- biologically speaking. Has somebody ever studied like Newt psychology, like why
1: they're so <laughs> suicidal, why they crave suicidal Newt, why thing. they crave death from above?
0: <laughs> maybe it's more like a maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's like parkour for them. It's like the rush. <laughs> You know, like we bungee jump. Wait, of death or of coming close to death? Yeah, of coming close. Like we bungee jump. We jump out of airplanes. They they run quickly underfoot (laughs) to see if they can get through.
1: Could someone notice me in time? (laughs) Wow. That that brings me a whole new level of respect for the newt. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We should have made the rubric on newts. Oh, that would have been great. (laughs) All right. So ultimately, if you want to get an A as a hiker, bring some food and water. Yeah. Don't litter it. Right. Know why you're going in there mm-hmm. with a purpose. Have a purpose. Don't just do it to kill time. So I, I don't even want to say have a purpose. Have the right purpose, which is enjoy My purpose. Words. My purpose, exactly. <laughs> I'm
1: going to go ahead and just say there is a right and wrong purpose. I am for the best hiker. Hiking. I'm yeah. the best kind of hiker. I am the best kind of be hiker. Be me right? and yeah. get an A. Exactly.
0: Perfect. Yeah. All right, well, this is great. It takes all the personal stuff out <laughs> yeah. when I just go straight to it. <laughs> Rubrics eliminate the personal nature of grading. Yeah. So for my rubric, basically just be me. Be me and you get an A. <laughs> Perfect. Now we don't have to have these silly
1: arguments about stylistic differences. You <laughs> don't know what worry I about want. reading be, any of this. Yeah. Look at me. Do be me. Do. <laughs> exactly.
0: Class dismissed. Right. All right. So our next segment, and I'm actually really excited for the segment because I've actually never done this mm-hmm. with any other guest, but I'm really excited about it. You have been in education for quite some time. Mm-hmm. You've seen some things. Ah. You're like a grizzly war veteran. I've yeah. seen things in my day. Mm-hmm. I won't even talk about it. Right. But I'm going to ask you to talk about it. Sure. This segment is called, Thank God That's Over. Oh, yeah. And what I mean by that is we have experienced quite a few fads coming on up in education. We've been through the fidget spinners. Mm. We've been through the pogs. We've been through the magic cards. Mm -hmm. We've been through a lot. What is a fad that you have been through (laughs) where, upon reflection, you think to yourself, Thank God that's over.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: so. Back in like the like the post-war. Like World War Two. Yeah, World War Two. Okay. Like. like <laughs>
0: You're, you late, look like, way late younger late than I thought. In
1: early fifties, there was like this. There was a jump rope. There was this big thing. <laughs> where segregated schools. No, I'm just kidding. Oh
0: my God. <laughs> Thank God that's over thank God that's over And thus ends the first and only segment of thank God that's <laughs> yeah. over. Please send all your letters so I was on Justin this podcast Shabazz. this one time and they
1: had me do this thank God it's over segment Thank God that's I over killed it <laughs> uh, so what is an actual fad so oh man <clears throat> the bottle flip oh my god
0: yeah. So it's not, let me give you a little bit of backstory. So it's not fully over though. I still get it. And I'm like, stop in the class. It's
1: yeah, you're right. It's Died down
0: considerably.
1: Yeah. And it's, but now we get like tremors of the big shake. Yeah. 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 Like there was a point last year where there were like just stranded water bottles on top of every possible (laughs) surface. Like they'd be on like for like a second story air conditioning unit. Yeah. That's like 20 feet above the ground. And somehow there's a water bottle sitting <laughs> on top of it. Standing straight upright with yeah, about exactly. an inch of water in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there was always like... Streetlights. <laughs> oh. And, and I mean, we had our... You know, we had a couple kids that were just really, really good. But because because that's all they did. Like literally... <laughs> they
0: weren't passing classes. Not
1: passing a single class. But, but, but on their resume. They could flip like any number of various size, volume, shape <laughs> of water bottle.
0: Oh my God. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, thank God that's over. Thank God that is over. Mm-hmm. My big fear though is that it these things only tend to get bigger. Yeah. And people are going to or my my so big fear a is five that five gallon water bottle. Yeah, my <laughs> big fear is that it's just going to get bigger and kids are going to try to start flipping more insane things on right. a more insane objects. Sure. And do you know the root of where this started? This is really crazy the bottle flip. Uh, I thought it was like a talent show. Yes. Yeah. I saw the original one video. kid yeah. and you watch it and you're like, oh, that's funny. And well, then the, the it whole becomes the auditorium erupted your existence. Yeah, exactly. Cause he just walks up and he's like one try flip and yeah. the whole auditorium loses its mind. Right. You should, if you haven't seen it, YouTube bottle flip talent show or whatever. Right. And, but that is the start. It's like the single shot fired oh, against yeah. Arch, Archduke Ferdinand Yeah. and it started this whole thing. <laughs> and now we're all in its wake. Mm. He was w-
1: the Serbian assassin. Yeah. Thank God that's over. Thank God that's over. Yeah.
0: Thanks for playing. I can't wait till the Fortnite thing is over. Oh, I, I I'm so afraid that'll never end. We've said that. We've been here before. Jason. We've been here before. <laughs> Let's have hope. We've been through one. We'll get through another one. Exactly. We'll be all right. Yeah. Well, thanks. That yeah, yeah, we'll was good. All right. Okay. So our final segment. Mm-hmm. It's time to uh, wrap things up. We had a lot of fun, mm-hmm. learned a lot. <laughs> we, we, got, we got real deep into uh, both international relations, mm-hmm. socioeconomic status, uh, purpose of hiking. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and water bottle flipping. Yeah. We've gone through the whole PTSD of that. That's right. Now it's time to bring it home. Mm-hmm. At the end of every episode, I ask the guests to give an extra credit assignment to the listeners. Huh. It can be anything. It can be reading a book, checking out a TV show, trying a type of food, whatever. Ooh. What is an extra credit assignment that you would like the podcast audience to take on before the next episode starts or before the next episode? I actually have two. The one, the, the first one's short.
1: Read Ghetto Side by Jill Leovi. It's a beautiful book. I think if you're struggling to understand the nature of the Black Lives Matter movement, read that book. Um, The second extra credit assignment, um, LA Times food writer and Pulitzer Prize winner Jonathan Gold recently passed away from pancreatic cancer. Yesterday would have been his 58th birthday, I think. And so your extra credit assignment is, like Jonathan Gold, go to a restaurant where nothing is in English that you understand very little of what's happening or what's being ordered and do not get what they think you want. Get something that you think they like or that their specialty is. Um, that was his technique, and it um, I think it shows a lot of respect for hmm. their process. Also a lot of
0: courage, a lot of trust. Exactly, yeah. Wow, that's really good. Okay, mm-hmm. so you have a reading assignment? Mm-hmm. And you have a gastro adventure exactly. assignment. Go somewhere where you haven't experienced that food and yeah. say, give me your best thing. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, find
1: out what their specialty is. I mean, he he was really big on like if you walk into a place, if you go into like an authentic like Szechuan place, they might just assume you want barbecue pork, but that's not their
0: specialty. Maybe they mm-hmm. do like this, you know, pig ear or something. Or anyway. this. Yeah. You know. I, 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 I could see it going the other way where you go and you say, what's your specialty? Oh, our specialty is this $900 uh, bottle of wine with sure. caviar. Yeah,
1: yeah. Sucker. Got him.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got him.
1: Reel him yeah. in. If that's what they want, then that's what you order. <laughs> <laughs> you do it. Sign. Or so no extra
0: credit. Spend $1,000 on that <laughs> restaurant. You need your business. <laughs> uh, well, this is great. Thank you so much for coming on thank and, you and uh, i hope you had a good time i enjoyed it and uh i'll definitely have to check in with you maybe halfway through the year to see uh what's new in the world of post bottle flipping mm. and how, how we're all coping mm-hmm. what you're dealing with in your neck of the woods it's an uncertain future god help us all god help us all okay that is our show thanks again to my guest justin shabazz and thank you my pod classmates for listening if you wouldn't mind, please go right to the podcast homepage on whatever platform you get the show and leave a five-star rating. The more ratings my show has, the easier it will be for people to find and enjoy. And if you really like the show, please go ahead and drop a comment, tell us why you love the show, give people an opportunity to sort of browse before they commit. You know, commitment can be hard sometimes, so tell them why you like the show, give them all the reasons. Maybe that'll push them right over the edge to say like, yes, I'm going to commit. I'm going to subscribe to this show. And it's going to, that blue icon is now going to be amongst my many podcast icons. Also, don't forget to come back next week for my mini pod show. And remember, if you want your listener questions to be answered on the air, please don't forget to submit them to me through social media, under the username at West, or via email podclasspod, Pod, that's podclassP-O-D at gmail.com. And that's all for this week. Until next week, podclass dismissed.